On today's Locked on Jayhawks, we're joined by Nick Schwert to talk Jalen Daniels and KU football. I'm Derek Johnson. You can hear me as well on Rock Chalk Sports Talk Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 on KLWN. Thanks for making Locked on Jayhawks your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. On today's edition of Locked on Jayhawks, we're going to be joined by Nick Schwert to talk Jalen Daniels, KU football, early look at Iowa State as well and how elite this offense has been so far for KU. Today's episode is brought to you by Upside. Download the free Upside app and use promo code LOCKED to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Nick Schwert, 610, Cody and Golds, and Waving the Wheat podcast with us on Locked on Jayhawks here. Jalen Daniels continues to just put up ridiculous numbers each and every week. Every week, it's like, uh, is it going to come back down to earth at least a little bit? And it just gets better each and every week. I'm kind of wondering if we're getting to a point now, especially when you add in there's there's less receiver talent around him than what Todd Reesing had in, in 2007. Do you think at the end of the season we're going to be saying this was the best individual season a KU quarterback has ever had? I would tell you that <laughs> – did we talk about this last week? History would tell you that – whenever you're talking about so-and-so being the best ever since, or is this guy the best since, history is going to be on the side of being a pessimist and saying, mm, probably not. Let me, let me see a little bit more, right? Let's see what you do against some of the big boys in the Big 12. With that being said, uh, right now, 11 touchdowns, one interceptions. You factor in the rushing game. Jalen Daniels is like a top 25 rusher in football, Derek. He's top 15 in yards per attempt. I think he's top 30 in rushing yards. He's top 20 in rushing touchdowns. His ability to run, and then you add on to the fact, Andy Kotelnicki's ability to draw up plays to get him in space and showcase his athleticism is going to lend itself to continuing to put up these numbers. I think what's going to happen when we get into Big 12 play, if you're looking to be sort of a glass-half-empty guy, is that the defense is going to get exposed a little bit because this is still a pretty porous, like they're allowing a lot of points, right? But it hasn't mattered because you've got a top 10 offense in the country. So if, if there's one thing that I'm worried about, it's not Jalen Daniels. It's not Andy Kotelnicki. It's not this offense. So I know I didn't really answer your question, but um, it wouldn't shock me. At this point, the production's there. I have seen absolutely zero, zero signs of it slowing down. Like, it'd be one thing if you said, you know, well, there was that one stretch there, or, oh, well, well, oh, then we saw this team do that against them, and that's when you started to see him come back down to earth. We have seen none, nothing. So until they show you one, I mean, morsel of being mortal in terms of college football and the way they move the ball, then why should you expect it? Yeah, I, I think uh, what you're kind of talking about there with the defense, though, does matter if, if that's going to be what we're talking about. If you're comparing it to Todd Racine or David Jaynes or John Hadle or whatever past KU quarterback, the wins and losses are going to matter to how you perceive that. And so if the defense is giving up 40, 50 points in a game and you put up 40 but you lose and KU ends up 6-6, six and six, that's not really a conversation anymore. Okay, but by that, if that's your standard, then... Better win the better go better go win New Year's Six Bowl. Well, I, I I see what you're saying, but like if if we're comparing to like David James, for instance, if you wanted to say that's the greatest quarterback season in KU history because he finished fourth in the Heisman, 
How does Jalen Daniels do better than that? He finishes third in the Heisman, and the only way you do that, you have to win eight or nine games. Yeah, but th- but that then still it turns the conversation into something not about Jalen Daniels, which maybe that's just the way that we perceive and talk about college football, which is a different conversation. But if this team loses four games because their defense has given up 32 points every Saturday, that's not a reflection on Jalen Daniels. Like, this kid is special. He is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. So you mentioned something interesting there with the idea that the offense has shown no signs of slowing down. And I, I thought it was really interesting. I heard Brandon McAnderson on the, on the pregame broadcast, and it was just something that, that put it together. West Virginia has given up 55 points in their three other games. They gave up 55 to KU. Uh, you have Houston, who on Pro Football Focus, they're still the number one team in the country in pass rush right now. They they still have a pretty solid defense. Duke, their head coach, is a former really renowned defensive coordinator there. I, I don't think you've played like an elite defense or anything like that, but I look across the schedule and how many really elite defenses are on KU's schedule? Sure, there's going to be good defenses, solid defenses, maybe one this week with Iowa State. But I guess where do you think that regression would come from? Like, what do you look at from the offense and say that, yeah, that's been good, but if it regresses here, like that's what it would look like or this would be the reason why? Well, for the record, I do think you're facing an elite defense this weekend. I think Iowa State's one of the top 15. I mean, I don't know. I I guess you have to draw a line somewhere. What is elite? Is it top 15? Is it top 10, 5, whatever? Iowa State's a really, really, really good defense. So this will be easily the toughest test that you've faced but you know what like i'm gonna i will cop out of this one because i don't there isn't an answer to that there isn't an answer because again i was going back to this team is one of the top five scoring teams in the country if you're scoring at that rate and putting up 40 50 like it's nothing then that means that there has been no signs of oh well there's this one thing they don't do particularly well if you had to cherry pick, you would say, well, they're designed runs with the actual running backs. Like the, the most efficient runner on the team, by yards per attempt and total yards has been Jalen Daniels, which I guess I wouldn't have suspected with everything we talked about before the year, Devin Neal and Daniel Hyshaw and Kai Thomas, who we haven't seen a ton of. Those guys have been less effective running the ball than, than Jalen has just because obviously he's a dual threat quarterback and he's been so good at pushing the ball down the field. So I guess that would be it if you just can't get as many yards with those designed run plays with your running backs. But that feels like nitpicking, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, we saw a good amount of runs that went for one or two yards or something. But you're, you're right, it is a bit of nitpicking. I, I still have this thought of like turnovers in the back of my mind. Jalen Daniels. Why, if though? They're not turning the ball over, and they didn't turn the ball over last year either. I know, but they, they've had how many fumbles that they recovered on their own right. And I, I, I guess... Again, like I, I feel like I'm nitpicking here too. There, there is one thing that's in the back of my mind though. Jalen Daniels, as you mentioned, has been such an efficient runner. He's not a big dude. He's six foot, hundred and what, ninety pounds, hundred and seventy, hundred and eighty pounds. Not he's really two hundred. Okay, well, I don't believe that for a second. Um, he, he's not a huge dude, right? And we saw him get hurt his freshman year. That was behind a really bad offensive line. Last year, he didn't have to go through the course of the season. But he did get injured in the uh, camp portion of the season before the year. Can can he sustain this load? Can he sustain being your leading rusher and, and getting all these carries in addition to everything he is doing for your team 
Like, that's my one worry. It's can you keep Jalen Daniels healthy through the course of the season? I mean, I don't, I don't care as much about the size aspect of it as much as I do. He's your quarterback. Do you want him being your leading rusher? Right? Like, last year, Bryce Young won the Heisman. Small guy right? Six foot, probably about the same size as Jalen Daniels. Six, probably skinnier. He's a tiny, tiny dude. He didn't even have 200 yards rushing. Like that was all through the air. It's, and it doesn't matter if it's college, NFL. I don't want my quarterback taking that many hits, regardless of how big he is, regardless of what level he's playing at. But it's so damn effective. When you're picking up over eight yards a run, how can you be critical of it? So eventually, yes, I would hope that Devin Neal and Daniel Hyshaw are these teams' leading rushers. But if, if you have this one play that is so effective, which is letting your quarterback make guys miss and move upfield and, and get extra yards that way, it's going to be really tough for Andy Kotelnicki and Lance Leipold to take that out of the playbook. I, I think the plays we saw Jason Bean in last game, I wonder if those were just, hey, let's let's – keep one less hit to this guy you know what I mean or, or let's keep a couple less hits just have someone else out there that can sustain that over the course of the game so that'll be something that I'm kind of watching for the the rest of the season we're going to take one quick time out here and then when we come back I, I have kind of a couple interesting questions for you we've talked so much about Lance Leipold oh would he leave for Nebraska or what's going to happen there but we might be sleeping on a couple guys who may be playing their way or scheming their way into having bigger opportunities after this season as well. From cringing at the pump to getting an eye-popping check at your favorite restaurant, inflation is hitting us all where it hurts, and it really hurts. That's why I started using Upside. Upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, or dines out. That's everyone. With every purchase, I'm earning cash back thanks to Upside. You can go to the pump and save a bunch of money. Plus, I have a code where you're going to get immediate cash back. All you got to do to get started, download the free Upside app, use my promo code LOCKED, and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more, which you're going to fill up for more than that at the gas pump. Next, claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside, check in at the business, pay as usual with a credit or debit card, and get paid. In comparison to credit card rewards or loyalty programs, you can earn three times more cash back with Upside. Upside users are earning more than a million dollars every week. That's probably why they have a 4.8 star rating on the App Store. Download the free Upside app and use promo code LOCKED to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code LOCKED. So Jalen Daniels has obviously been great to start the year, and so is this offense with Andy Kotelnicki. There's been all the talk about Lance Leipold's, the Nebraska stuff, whether that's real, whether it would happen or would not, whatever. Why are we not talking more about Andy Kotelnicki getting a head coaching job somewhere? Because the, what he is doing, like schematically, when you see some of these plays and guys going in motion and just everything that he is doing, I, I can't help but wonder if Andy Kotelnicki is going to find his way into like a, a lower-tier Power 5 or higher-tier Group of 5 job after the year. I've actually thought about this, too. It's interesting you bring it up. And I've thought about this, and I sort of quickly dismissed it from – my own thought process and the reason is because he's been with lance leipold forever right they spent uh the, i think he was only there for one of the years it was he was there for the last two years maybe at wisconsin whitewater and then he was there all six seasons at buffalo 
It's not an Andy Kotelnicki question. It's a Lance Leipold question. Brian Borland's been with him for, what, 17 years or something ridiculous like that? He retains his staff. These guys work as a sort of team. So it's not necessarily that he's not going to get looks, which he is. Like, I, I do think he fits the billing of what teams are looking for. Oh, innovative coach, malleable. He's willing to sort of change based off the personnel. Keeps defenses on their heels. He's everything that you would want in a head coach. Now, we don't know what he's like as a coach. We just know what he's like as a play caller. We see that all the time. Teams hire the up-and-coming play caller. Look at Nathaniel Hackett in Denver. It's like, oh, yeah, great play caller. Oh, guess what? Doesn't know how to do any of the other stuff. So I don't know if that's him, but those are questions that would come up. But I think the big thing is just that he's been with Leipold for so long that you sort of think of them as a staff more than you do one individual coach who is just kind of plucking coordinators year in and year out and having these big turnovers each offseason. I think it's a little different now, though, right? Because if, if you're the offensive coordinator at Wisconsin-Whitewater, like the head coaching jobs you might be getting offered are other D3 jobs, right? Or when you're the offensive coordinator at Buffalo, the head coaching jobs you might get offered if you're doing well are, hey, you can come be the head coach at this MAC program who stunk the last couple of years. It's another thing if you get a head coaching job now where I think I saw one report about him being a possible candidate for like the Georgia Tech job that opened up. And if you're getting power five money to go to an ACC school or, or wherever it would be, you know, I, I think that's kind of enticing. And, and if we big picture this, I know you've talked about this a lot on, on Waving the Wheat, that like it's a good thing if Lance Leipold is being mentioned with other jobs. It's, it's the same thing with the offensive coordinator or the defensive coordinator. Like It's a good thing if he's being mentioned with other jobs. I just think it's kind of interesting when you look at how innovative this KU offense has been. And, La and Lance Leipold wants that too. Like It's good for business if your coaches are going and getting head coaching jobs because that means more talent. Because first off, it's unrealistic to just expect that your staff is never going to leave and they're just going to want to coach with you for the rest of their careers. So if that reality sets in, which it does for everybody, then you want those guys to go get head coaching jobs because then the next talented up-and-coming offensive coordinator is going to want to be a part of your staff because they see what happens when you're an offensive coordinator under Lance Leipold. So you're right, and, and this is the biggest opportunity he's ever had. It's one thing to do it at Buffalo. Now you're at a Power 5. Now you're at FBS. If you're doing this for the – like if they finish the season as a top 10 offense, top 15 offense, wouldn't you say it's even money, maybe, that he takes a, a job somewhere else? Well, you know what the question for me would be at that point? It's not just would he be a head coach somewhere else. It's would like a – and I don't mean Alabama specifically, but like the Alabamas of the world – would one of them say, hey, come be the offensive coordinator here. We'll double your money. Yeah, I, I don't know. Because Alabama is the only one that we know about because the, the names are so high profile, right? Whether it was Brian Dable or Steve Sarkeesian or Lance or Lane Kiffin and now Bill O'Brien. Like, we know all those names. I don't know the names of, like, Clemson and, and Georgia's offensive coordinators. Do they have that sort of turnover year in and year out? Heck if I know. Alabama I, does, but, but Alabama is the perfect example of it. Look what happens. Come be the OC at Alabama for one year. You go get whatever job you want, right? It's worked out. It's worked out so great for all these different coaches. I'm not saying that's what it's going to be like at Kansas, but like, unless they fall off, somebody's going to see that and say, if you can do that at Kansas, I'd love to see what you can do at our program with our resources and the type of recruits that we bring in each year. Okay, the next guy that I want to get to here, 
is Jalen Daniels like a legit 2023 NFL draft prospect? I mean, he's a junior, so he could go if he wanted. He could have two extra years after this. Maybe he's a 2024 prospect. I think the size might be held against him. We talked about that earlier, but like you look at the the twitchiness of his arm, the athleticism, the ability to kind of throw at different arm angles, like that's kind of a thing that Patrick Mahomes has popularized. Is he a legit draft prospect? I'm not saying like first rounder, but to go, you think, in this next draft? He's six feet tall, man. He's, you mean we, you said it earlier? He is six foot tall. He is two hundred pounds. That does not scream NFL prospect. Now I know that teams have maybe loosened up their restrictions on that, but like I'm trying to think, who's the who are the shortest quarterbacks right now? How how tall is Tua? Tua is mm. six six foot, maybe. I mean, Kyler Murray's got to be the answer, but he's also like what four three forty, and and you can't tackle him in the backfield yeah he's the most dynamic athlete in the end at that position not named lamar jackson so it, okay i'm looking at it now kyler murray's 510 russell wilson's 511 uh jalen hurts is 61 you know what's what's in look common all, with those, those guys, guys though do. i mean with russell wilson jalen hurts like those guys are built though like those guys are strong jalen hurts squats like 600 pounds so if Jalen Daniels squats 600 pounds, he's a first-round pick? Yeah, so I told you at the first episode that if he had, what was the numbers? Do you remember? I think it was 38 touchdowns, six interceptions. Yeah, so that's, that's what he has to do to get a Heisman vote. And if he squats 600 pounds, then I'll say that he can go to the NFL. Okay. I don't see, I really don't. Like He's for sure coming back next year, right? I mean, it's, it's one thing to say yes, but like what if, what if this, this dream season continues and KU wins nine games and Jalen Daniels does win the Heisman? And, I mean, you end a season like that and you're being talked about as, hey, we'll give you a shot in the third round. Like, do you go? I, I think you probably do. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe. He'd have to test really well. Like, Murray ran like a 4-3-40. I know he didn't do it at the Combine, but it was like a hand-timed 4-3-40. Like once you reach a certain level of athleticism where you say, okay, that maybe makes up for some of the other stuff that you don't have, some of the physical traits you don't have. I don't know what Jalen would run. I mean, I know he'd be fast, but there's a difference between being a four or five guy and a four, three guy. Huge difference. That may be the difference between being a guy that goes in the seventh round or being the guy that goes in the third or fourth round. I, th I think you're right for what it's worth. I think he comes back. But I, I do think there is like an avenue there where it, it is a real possibility. Well, Nick, uh, once again, you can catch him on uh, 610 with Cody and Gold and Waving the Wheat podcast. Appreciate the time as always. Thanks, man. Let's take an early look at the KU-Iowa State game. Bet Online opened up at a three-and-a-half point line with Iowa State being the favorite over Kansas coming into this game. And I think that's about right. It, it makes a little bit of sense. And that means Iowa State would be, I don't know, around a nine and a half point favorite, though, on, on their home field, which I don't know if that would would necessarily be the case. But uh, this feels like a game that is definitely winnable for KU. Three and a half points is close to a coin flip. So that is certainly the case here. I don't know who I would take in it, but Iowa State certainly has a propensity last year to playing some close games. Didn't always go their way. The Baylor game was kind of a close game right off the bat for Iowa State against Baylor. And the interesting part about this matchup is you have the probably best unit among the four, if we're looking at KU's offense, defense, Iowa State offense, defense, has probably been the KU offense so far. 
But what does it look like against a typically disciplined and fundamentally sound Iowa State defense that the whole purpose of what they do defensively is trying to limit big plays and make you kind of inch your way down the field? On one hand, that could be good for KU. If they're opening things up to the running game and you have to inch your way down the field with four or five yards of pop on the run, that's right up KU's alley. But also, if Iowa State is able to limit that running game and can KU beat them through the air against a defense that is good at limiting those big plays and the big passes, then all of a sudden KU could be in a little bit of trouble. But also Jalen Daniels has been so good, it just makes you wonder how much it it could matter in a game like this. Um, The Iowa State offense is kind of interesting. You have a, a new quarterback this year in Hunter Deckers, who's certainly very talented. He's had his ups and downs. They've got a stud at receiver in Xavier Hutchinson. So whoever's going to be on him, whether KU just has whatever side he's on or if they shadow him with Kobe Bryant, Melo Dotson, they're going to have a huge part of this game for KU. Iowa State likes to establish the run. They don't have Bruce Brees Hall anymore, but they still have a good stable of backs back there. I think this is going to be a close game. I think this is going to be a game that KU is going to need the defense to step up in some way for them to win, though, because I think this is the type of game based on Iowa State having a good defense, based on Iowa State being a team that is going to play a more controlled game, that it's going to be tough for the KU offense to put up 35-plus points in this game. It might be a game where KU only puts up 27, 28, 31 points, and if they do that, can the defense hold? You held enough against Duke last week. You are giving up 27 points per game. So if you do that on average, can the KU offense put up more than that? I I think they very much can. But if Iowa State's able to find some holes in this defense, it could be tough for KU to win the game. Now, the one thing they didn't do against Duke, which they did well against West Virginia and Houston, was force turnovers. And if KU avoids any turnovers on their own end, we've seen them have some troubles with fumbling the football. You can't have any fumbles in this game. Like This, to me, is a game that KU has to at least be even in the turnover battle, if not win it. And if you can do that, I think you'll like where you're sitting in this game. But if you're minus in turnovers like you were against Duke, I don't think that's going to cut it against an Iowa State team that is very talented and has... I don't know, kind of gotten to a point of where Kansas is trying to get to where you go from this program that's struggling so much to now you're this well-coached, disciplined team, fundamentally sound, and you're winning six, seven games a year where maybe you have a breakout year where you're winning nine games. Like That's kind of where Kansas is trying to elevate the program to, and maybe they're doing that right now this very season. This will be a great test, though. If you win this game, all of a sudden the talk is going to start turning more into are they a legit contender to be one of the top four three teams or something in the Big 12 to where they could put a push on making the Big 12 title game. And if the offense continues to look good against Iowa State, I mean, Iowa State is one of the better defenses in the Big 12. The only other one the rest of the way you might be saying that look out is the Baylor game. But there's a lot that we can learn in this Iowa State game, whether it's a KU win, whether it's a KU loss, if it's close, if it's a blowout. And if KU does win the game, I can only imagine the conversation will be having afterward next monday right here with locked on jayhawks coming up on tomorrow's show we are going to take a look at ku on third downs take a deep dive in that they've been excellent one of the best teams in the country on that after struggling at it so many years in the past we're going to look at how repeatable it is moving forward the rest of the season just how dominant they've been in that regard and the correlation between that 
and winning, plus a What If Wednesday on tomorrow's show. If you have anything you'd like for the show to talk about or want to follow along on the action, you can reach out at D Johnson Radio on Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe to the show so you're getting all the latest with Locked On Jayhawks. That'll do it for today's episode. Have a good rest of your day. You can catch me later today on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN in Lawrence. Adios.